0: a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, we look back at the debacle against Buffalo, The heat is on Shafley and Maurice, plus a huge stretch of games coming up in the Jets season. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Verwicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore verwicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Well, hell hath no fury like a fan base scorned after losing to the Buffalo Sabres. It is hot right now in Winnipeg and for good reason. I mean, in the last three weeks alone, these are the losses the Jets have had in the last three weeks. We've seen a 7-1 blowout loss to a division rival in the Minnesota Wild, an unthinkable loss to the league-worst Coyotes, who only have 5 through 30 games this season, then a humiliating demolition by the Hurricanes, and then whatever the hell you want to call what happened Tuesday night to the Buffalo Savers. And I don't even know where the loss to Buffalo ranks out of these. I mean, to be honest, it might be the worst. It's either this one or the Arizona one. Because, I mean, at least, you know, Minnesota, Carolina, good teams. But at the very least, the Jets completely dominated the Coyotes, right? They dominated the shot clock. They just couldn't finish, couldn't find a goal. But against Buffalo, yes, the Jets did have the slight territorial edge. But there were big, big pockets of time where I thought the Sabres just flat out looked like the better team. Rather, that was a competitive hockey game. And the fact that you couldn't cruise to a win against Buffalo is beyond extremely concerning. Even more so than the loss to Arizona. And to me, this isn't even a doubt anymore. This is by far the loudest calls, the hottest of hot seats we've seen for Paul Marie since he took over the Winnipeg Jets. It's the most unified fan base in terms of demanding change. Behind the bench, I mean, there's been, we all know there's a segment, whether or not you've been a part of it, a large segment of the fan base has been calling for Paul Maurice's head for, I mean, well over a year now, but I didn't even think it was this bad after the loss against Arizona, if you could believe that, right? Like there was still, you know, the segment that were backers of Paul Maurice that, you know, maybe in the back of their minds are thinking, you know what, the team's playing better, just a bit of a rough patch, we'll get through it here. But a stretch of losses followed after that Coyotes one, and then the Sabres one. Maybe that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, maybe it, and maybe it's just because Buffalo's been Buffalo for so long that anything less than a win is is utter humiliation. But it seems to me like even Paul Maurice supporters have jumped ship right now. And so I thought we'd take a look here to start off the episode. At the question everyone's been asking in Winnipeg over the last few days. Is it time for the Winnipeg Jets to make a coaching change and move on from Paul Maurice after eight seasons behind the helm? Now, when you look at Paul Maurice's tenure in Winnipeg, there's really been what I've kind of labeled as the three biggest criticisms, the three biggest issues that have plagued this team season after season. And whether or not that's been improved on this year under Paul Maurice? Because the big reason, really, that I think Paul Maurice has been able to coach this team going into this season is, I mean, A, the big sweep against the Edmonton Oilers last year, but B, the fact that he'd been coaching maybe the worst defense core in the NHL for for two years in a row, after the Bufflin, the Truba, the Myers, the Sherrod exodus of a few seasons ago, right? I think Paul Maurice would point to, you know what, I need Better horses on the back end, or else this team isn't going to go anywhere, no matter who the coach is. And, and so I think that was, you know, maybe the ultimate trump card that you know, a lot of Paul Maurice supporters, and I'm, I'm sure you know many people inside the organization themselves, would point to and say, you know what? Until there's better defensemen on the team, you can't really totally judge how good of how good or how poor of a job that Paul Maurice is doing. And so then you see the moves made by Chevy this off season. Nate Schmidt, Brendan Dillon, you know, you're able to keep Logan Stanley and Dylan DeMello after the expansion draft, that excuse was no longer a valid one, the Jets had, at the very least, a passable defense core, if not, you know, an above average one, or a league average one going into the year, so when you look at the roster, you have, let's say, a solid defense core, a Vezda winning goalie, and a top 10 forward group with high, high-end skill, elite elite skill throughout your top six and a little bit into your top nine the excuses of we don't have good enough players just no longer stacked up going into this year I don't think people you know were under the assumption that the Jets were going to be a 110 point juggernaut but I no doubt about a playoff spot I think was well within the grasp of what the team has this year so with all that into consideration has Paul Maurice improved Or worked on any of the criticisms that has been levied at him by the fan base over the past several years. And to me, like I mentioned, there's three big criticisms that really stick out. The three biggest problems that have plagued the Winnipeg Jets under Paul Maurice for going on almost two and a half seasons now. The first one is the most glaring, it's the most obvious, and I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. That is the penalty kill. Let's face it, the penalty kill... Stunk two years ago, it stunk last year, and it's maybe even worse this season, even with guys like Brandon Dillon coming on board, where you would think that would be an automatic boost to the penalty kill. The only reason it's not dead last in the NHL is because the Canucks went into a tailspin for for a couple of months. It's even worse than the Coyotes' penalty kill, for crying out loud. And this, to me, we don't even have to spend a ton of time on, right? Like Even the biggest Paul Maurice supporter would have to admit the penalty kill has been awful and likely will continue to be awful under Paul Maurice no matter how long he coaches this team, right? It's it's not a personnel issue. Now that we've had Brandon Dillon come aboard, who's been a good penalty killer in the past. I mean, there's been a number of good penalty killing defensemen that have played for the Winnipeg Jets. Not a personnel issue. It's a system issue. And the system has not changed for how many years now. Too passive. No aggression whatsoever over-reliance on Connor Hellebuck, again, the list goes on and on, but the penalty kill has and continues to be a major, major blight on Paul Maurice's resume, and again, an influx of talent, but the result remains the same when it comes to the penalty kill. Now, the second main criticism towards Paul Maurice, I'm going to label as personnel usage. This is kind of a wide-ranging one, but it includes things like, you know, line combinations, Time on ice, discipline, things like that. And so has that gotten better this year with increased talent and increased expectations? Well, I think we hear the same arguments over and over again, don't we? Whether it's, you know, giving Blake Wheeler 20 plus minutes a night while he's in his mid-30s and struggling to find his game, or the countless times Nikolai Ehlers has been underutilized, breaking up Dubois-Connor-Svechnikov when they were the team's hottest line. Riley Nash getting freaking first team power play minutes, right? Like, these are head-scratching decisions that just haven't gone away. It's been time and time again. There continues to be big-time question marks as to how Paul Maurice utilizes the personnel at his disposal. And that doesn't even include the one name I haven't mentioned there, you might have noticed, which we'll get to later on in the episode, for sure, after Paul Maurice, and that's Mark Shifley. But speaking of him, that kind of bridges us from the second criticism to the third and final one. And that's been the team's play in the defensive zone. And I'll tell you what, when I watched the Buffalo Sabres' second goal back on Tuesday, that was everything I needed to see. I didn't need to see anything else. You had five guys up above the ring net line. Your center and Mark Scheifele damn near the blue line. Cal Connor then filling in poorly for Mark Scheifele, and then we have a man left alone, all in front of Connor Hellebuck having a five-course picnic, and then scoring the easiest goal he'll have all season. It just can't happen at the NHL level. Yet, we see it time and time again with this team, miscommunications, breakdowns in coverage, and Paul Maurice even acknowledged it after the game, that the coverage there was inexcusable right, so the defensive play hasn't gotten better, but going back to personnel and discipline being under that, so if what happened on the coverage was a cardinal sin that was broken, why on God's green earth was Mark Scheifele then given 25 plus minutes of ice time in that game? Can someone please explain that to me? If your number one center isn't even going to attempt to play defense, how do you not set the tone with a benching? or a demotion, or a position switch, like anything, but instead, it was nothing. Here's a few more shifts then, Mark, while our actual number one center all season long and PLD can sit and watch from the bench. I know it could be a dangerous thing, putting too much importance on a single play, but we've seen this so often from the team that it just stuck out to me in such a big way that I couldn't ignore it, right? It just encapsulated everything that's wrong with the Winnipeg Jets. The only way it could have been better encapsulated was if it was on the penalty kill. But you take a look at where this team sits right now and those three big issues that I mentioned, penalty killing, personnel, defensive zone coverage. I don't know how you can honestly say that Paul Maurice is going to be able to turn two of those three things around, let alone all three of those things around over the course of this season. It's been a great run for Paul Maurice. But when you look at the evidence and you ask yourself, can this team take the next step as it's currently constituted? For me, the answer is no. And for me, there needs to be a new voice behind the bench. This team is too talented to be on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoff bubble. And how many times have we seen a new coach come in midseason with a talented group that's struggling, And find a way to get them playing at the level that they should be. St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Chicago. I mean, the list goes on and on. How many times, how many Stanley Cup champions we've seen make this move over the last 10 or 15 years, right? There's still time to turn this thing around if you're the Winnipeg Jets. But not that much time. Look at the standings. It it can get pretty dire pretty quickly here for the Winnipeg Jets, so we'll see how decisive the notoriously patient Kevin Sheveldayev is going to be here. I think i made my point pretty clear here, but you look at the next four games, you take on Washington, St. Louis, Nashville, and then Dallas. Those four games all coming before the Christmas break. I mean, you go one and three there, I don't think Kevin Sheveldayev really has much of a choice to make. That's why this next stretch is so critical to the outlook for the Winnipeg Jets entire season. I really don't know how it's going to go, to be honest, because right when I think this team is dead, they find a way to turn it around. But the Jets' playoff hopes, even though it's roughly 30 games into into the season, are hanging on by a thread, and you cannot just sit back and wait and hope for something good to happen. We'll see where it goes here and we'll break down the Capitals game later on in the episode. But just fascinating times. And like I mentioned, there are a couple more losses. And don't be surprised if we see some significant change to the Jets organization for the first time in, you know, well over seven to eight years. Now we got to switch gears a little bit and talk about the next most heated topic when it comes to the Winnipeg Jets right now, and that is, and hey, we touched on him a little bit there, but Mark Scheifele, the state of his game right now, what's going on, what can be done, we'll get to him in just a second. But before we do that, let's give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings, one of the official sports betting partners of the NFL. And again, the same deal that's been too good to be true is rolling around before, just before, The holiday season gets into full swing. A reminder, new customers who bet just $1 on any NFL team to score can win $100 in free bets. So, I mean, it's really the deal of the season. But if Sportsbook is not available in your state from DraftKings just yet, remember, huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet $1 on any team to score, and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so Mark Shifley. Murata Tej. If you haven't read it yet, and, and if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, you absolutely should. I get no money for saying this, unfortunately. Um, but Murata Tej absolutely hits it out of the park once again with his latest article that dropped on a Thursday morning titled, It's Time to Ask About Mark Shifley's Ceiling as the Jets Franchise Player. In reality, it's kind of a, a piece about both Mark Shifley and Paul Maurice. We've touched on enough of Paul Maurice here. We'll focus a little bit more on 55, but It's just really interesting that the first game without Captain Blake Wheeler in the lineup saw Mark Scheifele play one of his poorest games of the entire season. At a point where you would think that as, you know, one of the team's leaders, you would elevate your game to a much higher level and maybe set the tone for the rest of your teammates to follow. And instead we saw, again, what happened on that second goal. To me, just an inexcusable lack of effort and attention to detail And focus, all that stuff. We've seen that. That's coming off the heels of the Vancouver game, where Niels Hoglander embarrassed Mark Scheifele a couple times in that one. And I'm sure you can point to a number of different scenarios and situations this season when Mark Scheifele has just not met an acceptable level inside the defensive zone. I, I mean, it's been going on for three seasons now, really since the playoff run to the Western Conference Finals when everybody expected Mark Shifley to take his game into the superstar stratosphere we've seen a steady steady decline of play inside his own end of the ice and look Paul Maurice deserves some of the blame for this and Paul Maurice deserves I mean maybe more so the blame of just you know playing him time and time again when he's giving you effort like that right Maybe instead of 25 minutes, he gets Pierre-Luc Dubois' 19. And you flip-flop the two, right? I mean, look, Pierre-Luc Dubois has only played 20 minutes once in the last 10 games. And he's been the team's most impactful forward, if you, if you want to call it, you know, two-way play. You know, pushing aside Kyle Connors' offensive explosion so far this season. Yet Dubois has not seen an increase in time on ice. Mark Scheifele is the one who's done so. So Palm deserves some of the blame for that when it comes to Mark Scheifele. But at some point here, and I know the coach is supposed to get the best out of a player, but at some point, it's got to come from the guy that's skating out there on the ice. And I, I just don't, I don't get why Mark Scheifele's defensive game, in particular, has deteriorated to what we've seen as of late. He's a smart player by all accounts. He's extremely, extremely passionate about training, nutrition. Finding every single edge to make yourself better. Devotion to the game, right? There's no question that there is a desire from Mark Scheifele to be amongst the best in the NHL. From everything that we've heard. Yet we see the exact opposite when when he's in his half of the ice. And to me it doesn't matter who's behind the bench. It's in the player to give a damn when you're out there on the ice. And we're not seeing that from Mark Scheifele right now. And it's extremely concerning because I don't know how else. What other carrot can you dangle in front of Mark Shifley? Then you know what? Almost the legacy that he's had going into this season. Do you want to be a Stanley Cup champion? Do you want to be a guy that takes a team deep on a Stanley Cup run? We had that opportunity, I think Paul Maurice would say to Mark Scheifele this year with a team that maybe could surprise some people. Do you want to be a freaking Olympian on Team Canada? Like a spot on Team Canada's Olympic roster was up for grabs for Mark Scheifele. On top of that, you had competition from Pierre-Luc Dubois intrinsically inside the team, pushing you each and every day. And despite all of those carrots, this might be the worst defensively we've ever seen Mark Shifley play. And I'll even push aside the NHL stuff here. To me, when you have a chance to lock up a spot on the most coveted roster on the planet, Team Canada's Olympic hockey squad, and you come out of the gate looking disinterested, that, that raises major alarm bells, man. I, I just don't... I don't get how somebody as competitive as Mark Shifley is can put out efforts like that with so much on the line personally for him this year. I I don't know what the reason is. I'm just, I'm really struggling to try to wrap my head around why 55 has been so inept when it comes to the defensive side of things because we, we know he can do it. He's not incapable of doing it. I mean, you could just look to the, the playoffs last year against Edmonton, you know, the task of shutting down Connor McDavid, you know, Mark Shafley stepped his game up in a big way. Go back to the playoff run a few years back. I, I thought he did step up his defensive game there as well. It's there, but we just don't see it outside of a glimpse here or two or, you know, really <laughs> once the playoffs get started in the regular season, defensive Mark Shafley just doesn't exist and it's extremely frustrating to watch. I mean, it's been so frustrating that I'm seeing a lot of chatter from the fan base that are just kind of fed up with it all and saying, trade the guy. You know, we got our number one center in Pierre-Luc Dubois now. Let's move him while we can, get some assets back, and maybe retool the roster after that. I, I don't, even with everything I said there, I don't know if I'm there just yet, just because... Settermen that are that elite offensively are so so hard to find. And especially when they're making six billion dollars a year, it's just really difficult to replace talent like that. To me, I go more so the I mean, the easiest move is just Dubois number one center, Shifley, number two center. You shelter him, you don't put him out there 23, 24 minutes a night, but you put him out there in spots that he can take advantage of. That's kind of my first move before pulling the trigger on a deal that is always tough to win when you're moving talent like that? Actually, I shouldn't even say that's my first move. That, that's not totally true. My first move is what I've been saying for a few weeks now, is to put Mark Schreifle out there on the wing. And whether it's, you know, Andrew Kopp or Paul Stasi down the middle, have somebody else play center. Because if Mark Shifley doesn't want to fulfill the defensive responsibilities of a center, have someone else do it. You go play on the wing. You can play on the wing, and we'll let somebody else take care of the defensive responsibilities of a centerman. Because you're not interested in doing it right now. So my first move is actually moving Mark Shafley out to the wing. Then we look into Dubois, number one center. Scheifele, number two. Sheltered, offensively gifted center. And if things still aren't working at that point, then I think you talk about a potential trade. But for me, even with the major, major struggles that we're seeing right now, it might be a bit premature. And if fans are seeing it, I'll tell you what, other GMs around the league are seeing it as well. And I, I don't know if you're necessarily selling high on a guy like Mark Shifley when he's played like he has so far this season. But again, the main thing here for me when we're talking about Mark Shifley, he's the guy that's got to bring it. I, I don't want to hear about coaches anymore. I don't want to hear about any other excuses. Mark Shifley just flat out has to put more effort into the game. It, it's cra- I never thought we would say that about Mark Shifley. Because we know what he does off the ice. But it's been three plus seasons now, and he probably is what he is at this point. And it's just, it's really disappointing that with everything that's at stake this year, both individually and on a team level, that we haven't seen Mark Shifley grab the bull by the horns and take his game to another level. Alright, real uh, real positive show there heading into the weekend. Uh, but you know what, that's what the fan base is, is feeling like, right? I mean, I don't think I'm that out of touch with what is, or what has been kind of the main topics all week after the loss to Buffalo. And it's not like it gets any easier here with the, with the upcoming matchups before we get back at it here on Skates and Plates for Tuesday's episode. It is a daunting stretch of games for the Winnipeg Jets. And it begins on Friday with the Washington Capitals and Alex Ovechkin in town. I mean, for me, the Capitals have honestly been one of the more surprising teams in the entire NHL this year. I I thought that, you know, maybe a bubble team was what they might be with their age and some of the injuries headed into the season. And instead, this is the best they've looked at probably four seasons. So a really, really difficult matchup. And again, obviously with Ovi on the ice, the Jets cannot take penalties. Because they're not going to kill a whole bunch of those off. With Alice Ovechkin firing darts from the left circle there. So you got the Capitals coming in on Friday night. And then an absolutely massive monumental game against the St. Louis Blues on a Sunday. As of right now the Blues are 6 points up on the Jets. For 3rd in the division. The Jets do hold a game in hand. I'll be very, very intrigued. If the Jets drop both the capitals and the blues games here let's say in regulation as well what happens do the winnipeg jets make a move do they wait until the christmas break there's a lot on the line here with these two games and then the two after that against nashville against dallas right like there's the chance that the jets could be back right around third or fourth in the central or they could be all the way down to sixth and then we've got major questions to ask either way though good or bad, positive or negative, we'll be back at it when we return on Skates and Plates on a Tuesday. Until then, though, hey, try to enjoy your weekend, everybody. And like I mentioned, we'll break down the games against the Capitals and the Blues when we get back at it on a Tuesday, as well as getting ready for the game against Nashville. Until then, though, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki, Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Stay safe out there as well. Peace.